0: Lisa, welcome to the Bitcoin Source. Can we start things off by having you introduce yourself to the audience and to the world? Hello,
1: Dadu. Thank you for having me. My name is Lisa Huff. I live in Texas. I'm a hardcore Bitcoiner and I'm so happy that uh, I get to chat with you today. I've heard so much about you.
0: Likewise, likewise. This is going to be a great episode and You know, Lisa, I really want to know, and I'm curious because I'm just kind of a nerd for Bitcoin. um, What were some of your first experiences with the protocol as far as um, books, courses, or even people in the ecosystem that might have inspired you to become a better Bitcoiner?
1: So I got into Bitcoin, I think, in 2018. And I'm not exactly even sure, probably Andres uh, Antonopoulos is is where I uh, first came to Look at content officially, and then I think I just started stumbling on random YouTubes, and I went through a bunch of uh, like crypto influencer videos, and I don't know, somehow dove down the the rabbit hole. Um, I really fell in love with Bitcoin, though. Uh, I was studying technology companies. I had recently gone through a divorce, and taken my chunk of um, our assets and thought, all right, I don't wanna be in 26 different uh, mutual funds. So I'm gonna look at companies that I'm interested in. I'm interested in technology. And I happened to take a magazine, the MIT Tech Review. And from 2010 to 2017, they published a list, they published a list of the top 50 technologies of the year and, and companies. So I built this gigantic Excel spreadsheet of a bunch of these companies and tried to look for similarities. I really tried to look for the crossover. Who were the seed round investors? Who was the A round investor? What was the technology? You know, it was genomics or it was uh, AI or it was, uh, you know, whatever, right, a bunch of technologies. But what kept coming up is blockchain. And so, I'm Googling, like, it occurs to me, all right, I can make a lot of money, but I have to buy blockchain. So I asked my investor in Google, how do I buy blockchain? And what really started to pop up was all the stuff on Bitcoin. And from, you know, from there, it was just the the content that was was out there. Um, and I think in 20 late 2018 or 2019, I found Gary Gensler's class at MIT. And I sat in my... Um, garage apartment, which is where my office was on this tiny little island in Rhode Island. We had a house on Jamestown. So it was the middle of winter. It's like, you know, 25 degrees. None of my neighbors are there. And I'm taking Gary Gensler's online thing and just decided that that was like probably the most interesting thing that I could be thinking about. Couldn't get enough of it. Kept devouring content. Ended up moving back to Texas and thought I'd go back into the energy business because that's where I was early yeah. in my career. So I thought, all right, well, I'll get a job in the energy industry. But meanwhile, I start dating. And the gentleman that I uh, was out with one night said, you know, I really think that you should start a consulting business. And you should teach people about Bitcoin so that you can talk to them all day about Bitcoin. And you and I can talk about something else at night which was actually really pretty funny. Uh, He was a senior guy at McKinsey. And I was like, he thinks I should be a Bitcoin consultant. I guess I'll, I guess I'll spin up a slide deck and I'll pitch myself as a Bitcoin consultant. And, you know, I'm sure you face the same thing right now. Most of the people that you're around, not in your Bitcoin world, you're like the only source of knowledge for Bitcoin. And certainly in my world, probably most Bitcoiners worlds, like we're, we're kind of the only people we know in Bitcoin. So I did just that. I printed up, uh, business cards that in big block letters say, I love to talk about Bitcoin and started telling people I was a Bitcoin consultant. And it, and it actually surprisingly took off. Um, yeah. friends would introduce me to their wealth managers. Their wealth managers would introduce me to other wealth managers. Um, you know, uh, Groups of people, women's investment clubs would have me speak. Um, I've gotten to speak at University of Houston. Uh, I don't know. I've done a bunch of speaking, but you know, it sort sort of snowballs. And I was actually at a conference. I was at the Texas Blockchain Conference two years ago, and I met Parker Lewis, and we hit it off. I ended up talking to a few other people on the Unchain team, and from there, I really, I probably joined Unchain two or three weeks later. So it was. It was like, all right, then officially I'm in the Bitcoin world. So that that was really how I found, fell down the rabbit hole. And I just continue to find myself, you know, more enthralled in this space, the more I figure it out. Because, you know, I, I feel like I had to go through the, okay, I'm greedy, right? And I want to make money, so I'm going to buy Bitcoin. I went through that phase. I went through the, okay, well, there's all these other coins too. So I think I'll buy 20 other coins and I'll day trade and... Um, these were all phases, but what I really discovered is the incredible connection between Bitcoin and energy. And because my previous work experience was in the energy world, I was like, wow, like this is just, you know, this is the future of Bitcoin, right? Like we think the macro is super interesting. We talk about it on Twitter all the time. Um, And the macro is interesting, I guess. But to me, the real growth in this industry and where I think we'll see an enormous amount of um, of positive traction and adoption is with these energy companies, because they're really realizing that you know, Bitcoin can help them monetize every molecule along the road. So we can talk about
0: that some more if you want. But. Yeah, most definitely. Thank you for that introduction. and you know what I find so interesting is like there's so much vacillation between um, what people actually find interesting about Bitcoin, right? Um, it, It means different things for different people. And just to hear your story talking about energy and kind of using Bitcoin as a triumph or a recovery for you. Um, going through some of the tribulations that you've had in your life is just beautiful because I think that that defines you and makes you who you are as a Bitcoiner. And one of my other questions that I wanted to ask you just pertaining to energies because you brought it up is, you know, how do you feel like, um, energy being something that, you know, is the most important thing that you could be working on in Bitcoin, right? For example. Um, I love Bitcoin just as much as you do, but you still have to find these tiers of what actually works for you and what you think you'll be good at. So my question is like, what about energy? What about Bitcoin mining outside of like the fact that you have like a little bit of a background in it? Why do you think that that is the most important thing that you could possibly be working on at this exact moment?
1: So again, just starting off on the greedy angle, if, if you are an energy company, let's say that you're a, a midstream, uh, let's, okay, let's say that you're a producer. And you're flaring gas, right? That's a common thing that we talk about in Bitcoin. Is Bitcoin miners are mitigating flared gas, so we're you know we're, we're gobbling up some, not much really on a grand scale, but we're gobbling up some gas that would otherwise be flared. But there are so many other opportunities in energy to uh, to use Bitcoin mining to sort of tweak their business models. So if you think about um, downtime at processing plants or gathering plants for natural gas, in many instances, you're going to have to shut down a, a pipeline. So shut down the flow into your plant so that you can do whether it's scheduled or unscheduled maintenance. What if you could drop Bitcoin miners on site? Right. What if there was a Bitcoin miner that would show up and mine Bitcoin for a month or a week or whatever it was, where you were going to do plant maintenance so that the producer didn't have to shut their production off, right? Because when you shut your production off, I mean, that's just, that's revenue that those guys don't have anymore. Um, So there's, I just think there's all kinds of opportunities uh, within the energy landscape. I mean, another example is the the power producers here in Texas on ERCOT and don't, You know, you can go Google and probably tell me that I'm wrong, but they sell gas. uh, Excuse me. they, They have to give power back to they have to pay ERCOT to take their power so that they don't have to shut down. So if I am a power producer, if there's not enough demand, it's usually economically better for the producer to just keep producing power. But instead of getting paid for their power, they have to pay ERCOT, the grid, to take it. So let's say that that's 2% of the time, 4% of the time. That's a non-zero number. If that power producer had Bitcoin miners on site, right, that, that all of a sudden it went from a negative to something that's accretive to them. So it it really gives a producer or a power producer and, you know, the guy that's drilling the hole in the ground, the midstream operator, the processing plant operator. It gives everybody a chance to really tweak a business model and monetize their assets. So, you know, I think the only thing I'm truly good at, um, and I'll give you some background. So um, when I graduated from college, I got super lucky. It was so long ago. That um, you still had to answer ads in the newspaper. So there was an ad in the Houston Chronicle, and I answered it. I answered a lot of them. It was back when you like printed off your resume and a really nice cover letter, and you put it in a big envelope and you mailed it. Uh, well, I did that, and I got a job working for a company called Fibro Energy. They were the commodities trading desk for Solomon Brothers. So they hired me, and I was on their, their risk desk on the heavy fuels team which meant that I put their trade tickets in and I told them if they made or lost money every day. So from there, I spent about 10 years in the natural gas business. I I was there, I don't know, a year and a half or maybe a year, a year and a half. Um, And I decided that the people that were trading weren't any smarter than I was and they were making a lot more money. And I just really like had my mindset that I was going to be an energy trader. I thought it looked like a blast and it is. Um, So anyway, I I left there and I've worked at a ton of places. I tell people all the time that I think every single energy trading company I work for is um, out of business. I think some of them went bankrupt. Um, Several of them have been sued. Um, Enron was one of them, so kind of notorious. Um, So I have a lot of experience in the energy business. But what I was getting to is what I really think I'm good at is connecting other people, is helping people meet one another. And that's honestly like, that's what I love to do. So my world in Bitcoin right now, and like how I started this morning, I sat down with two guys that uh, they work at different oil and gas companies. And one of them has been uh, kind of modeling out and exploring Bitcoin mining for about a year. They're looking to raise just a little bit less than a hundred million dollars to mine with production that they have. And this uh, this other CFO, his company is just at the very beginning of their journey of like, wait a minute, we're flaring all this gas. We shouldn't be flaring this, right? Like we have to figure this thing called Bitcoin mining out. So they didn't know one another. I know them both, they're about the same age. They're you know kind of kids in common. And I was like, hey, you know what? You guys should meet. That's my favorite thing to do. It's like helping connect, whether it's Bitcoin miners to um, funding sources. I mean, you know, a lot of my network is um, these wealth managers or high net worth individuals that were, you know, my friends or my neighbors or that I met through my consulting business. Um, I just I love connecting people, right? I, I think that you know my official title at Lovell Field is uh, head of business development. All business, I mean, the best business development, I think, takes place when you help other people win, right? So that's what I wake up every day and I'm like, all right, I'm going to help these people today, right? Like, I want to go out and and really try to move what I think is important along, which is Bitcoin. So how can I do that? All right, well, I can introduce the guy with the money to the guy that needs the money. Or I can introduce the new Bitcoin miner to the guy that's been doing it a year or two years or three years, right? so that's really what I do. It's what I love to do. Um, it's fun. This Houston is, you know, we've got the biggest Bitcoin uh, meetup in the world, and it's largely focused on mining.
0: Yeah, that's that's beautiful. And um, you know, um, respecting your passion for what you love is is what this is all about. And I think that um, Bitcoin has opened up a new avenue for you. Um, to kind of upgrade off of an industry that you have been doing for so long and you're so familiar with. And I just love the fact that you said that like curating that value for value, um, that connectivity between people is what it's all about. Like I said, in this podcast is doing the same thing, but just on a different scale. And there was something that you said where when you talked about connecting people with money with the people that need money. And it just reminds me of like when I was working in the financial banking industry, I always made sure that I read the Wall Street Journal every morning or I watched Squat Box just to stay informed and familiar with like what's going on in the market, right? And I wanted to ask you like how do you feel about this recent executive order that Biden signed, you know, kind of talking about CBDCs and, you know, mining and kind of some of the weird wordage that they had in there where I feel like they're paying attention to Bitcoin, they're aware of it, but just from some of the stuff they talked about with mining and CBDCs in particular, they still have a lot to learn. So I would love to hear your take, Lisa, on that order if you read it or you're familiar with it.
1: Yeah. Um, you know, I haven't read it recently. Um, I mean, I can tell you probably like every Bitcoiner's opinion of a CBDC. I mean, I think it's a tool for surveillance right? I think it is evil. It is a tool for surveillance. Our money is already digital. I mean, I've been to three places today. I never pulled out cash. I went to 10 places yesterday. I never used cash, right? Our money is already digital. I think it's a way for them to use money that they can program, if that's the right word. You know, okay, you have uh, 25 days to spend this $2,000 stipend that we're giving you. Um, but you can only use it for X, Y, and Z. It's almost like food stamps. Um, you know, you can only use food stamps for certain items, not all items at the grocery store. I think it's terrible. Um, you know, I guess I'll cut the, the people in Washington some slack. I, you know, I don't really love what they say um, about Bitcoin. But I cut them some slack. I'll give them some grace because I really don't think that they know. Um, This is a very complex topic, as you know, and it's a journey. It's not something that someone can, someone cannot change your mind about Bitcoin overnight. And those people all have other responsibilities, right? They have a job in Washington. They've got constituents in their state. They have families. They have parents. They have neighbors. They go to church, whatever. Um, it's they don't live and breathe this like we do. So I think we our expectation is that the whole world move as fast as we're moving, and it just it doesn't happen that way. I, I wish it did. I think our media is at fault largely for the the um, the misrepresentation of what's happened in our market. But again, I mean to me that's why I love you know now really honing in on the energy side of Bitcoin. Because there's more coming out that, you know, Bitcoin will help energy companies, obviously, the way we talked about. But it's it's also a great way to, uh, to promote, inspire, um, monetarily incentivize development of, uh, you know, non-carbon resources for energy. And I think structurally, it helps us improve power grids. So, you know... It, but it's not an overnight phenomenon. This, this is going to be uh, probably longer than we want and unfortunately a battle with Washington as, as we go along. Now, I will say I find it really cool that in Texas, you know, we have legislation on the books that Bitcoin can be used um, in, in deals. So you can use it as a currency um contract law applies if it's used as a currency for a, a trans- business transaction and there is some sort of problem contract law is applicable even though it's not a transaction done in the dollar um so you know i think that's probably where we see more rapid adoption i think the states really need to get involved and i think that they will especially the states where where miners are you know, have dug in, right? Like here in Texas, Ohio, Pennsylvania, uh, just to name a few. Um, uh, the folks at Riot, which is outside of, you know, the largest Bitcoin mining in North America is, is Riot. And they have a facility in Milam County. And to, you know, to hear what impact they've had on Milam County is, is nothing short of phenomenal. Um, You know, they have apparently they have new um, infrastructure, their their schools are improved. They have, you know, um, I've heard people say, and I don't know for sure, but there's new fire trucks. Um, There's so much tax revenue that is being collected uh, because of the business that's being done uh, by Riot in that area. And I think Riot has 200 and something full-time employees. And in order to build that facility, they had 700 and something people on staff. Um, That's how states make money, right? They make money from, uh, you know, uh, transactions. And so it's a phenomenal thing for a state to, you know, come to understand this and then support it. Um, Instead of it being this, like, weird federal fight where you think about Elizabeth Warren or, you know, one of those nut jobs, sorry, who, you know, you you really, what if her constituents are involved in this, right? Like, why does she care? I think the only reason that she cares and she causes a fuss is because she knows it's the the end of um, the U.S. monetary system as we know it like period. So it's, you know, them, I think that are trying to dig their heels in and and propagate, you know, the wrong, uh, wrong moral um, identification around Bitcoin.
0: Yeah, most definitely. And I kind of like want to play like devil's advocate too. now hearing you say some of these things, like, I know that you were a commodities trader or a former commodities trader, I'm not sure. But um, what do you say to people that you know, believe the biggest financial mistake that Bitcoiners make is just only investing in Bitcoin and not diversifying their portfolio in either stocks or other altcoins?
1: I think altcoins are going to zero. I think that there's no use for them. I think that uh, Bitcoin solves the greatest problem on earth, which is uh, free and open and fixed monetary policy, right? Money that everybody on earth can depend on. Yeah. Everyone on earth can store wealth in, in, within Bitcoin. There's no other crypto uh, that allows you to do that. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm hugely interested in technology. I mean, that's really, I told you that's how I got into Bitcoin, you know, studying, um, I don't know, NVIDIA. That, that, you know, that sort of, okay, what's going to move our society forward? What do we need going forward? And, you know, I guess to me, Ethereum or all of those other coins, if they can come up with a reason to exist, fine. But they're companies, right? They have they have marketing teams. I mean, I was on the phone two days ago with a marketing person at one of these layer one protocols, right? Talking about Google ads, <laughs> right? Who does that for Bitcoin, by the way? No one. No one does that. Um, so... Yeah, I mean, Bitcoiners, uh, I saw Morgan Rashard something today on Twitter. Um, You know, there's a few people that say irresponsibly long. You know, okay, we're irresponsibly long. But according to what? Right? Like, I think that we have to throw out all financial planning as we've known it. Because, I mean, the 60-40 bonds, who, who really wants to own bonds? I mean, if the U.S., defaults on debt, if we continue to um, print dollars, I mean, we, we have to look no further than Russia or China, who had like 60% allocation to U.S. denominated debt four years ago. And I think they've reduced that by 20%. and And only, I imagine, will continue to do so. Right. If we're going to sanction Russia, which, okay, fine, it's the right thing to do. But if we're going to tell another country that we have the power over how they spend their wealth, right, they're storing their wealth in dollars and then we shut them out of the system. What signal do we give to the rest of the world? We give the signal that money is not safe. Money is not a safe store of value. Anything, anything denominated in dollars is not a safe store of value so yeah i mean i fall into the category of being irresponsibly long bitcoin uh i guess you know i kind of joke saying that but i think it's the safest thing on earth i I really look at it as um i don't think about this anymore you know and and legit i was paid for a very long time to day trade so you know these these crypto traders that you know i i look at these guys and, and i'm like okay Quit watching E-Trade commercials, right? Like, quit listening to this nonsense. Turn off Jim Cramer. He doesn't matter. Nothing he ever says matters. Never makes sense. He's completely incentive biased. Think, right? People just don't think. Um, You and I were talking about uh, living in a three-second world. We were talking about that before we came on. I mean, that's the problem, right? Like we think in these short little snips of time, but, um, I mean, I start every day, uh, you know, not to like get on a high horse or anything, but, um, one of the changes that I've made recently, like say two years is I've, I start every single day with a 30 minute block where all I do is read a book and I set a timer so that, you know, I, I can protect my time, I guess. Um, turn my phone off, all that, you know, sometimes I sit there an hour, sometimes it's an hour and a half before I worked at Unchained. I mean, I would read three or four hours a day, like five hours a day. I was just on vacation with my daughter and we read seven hours a day. Like when you give yourself permission to not be busy, you can begin to see that things like Bitcoin really make a lot of sense and nothing else really does.
0: That's so, that's such powerful words right there. And I think that, um, you know, just that routine of reading every day and just shutting off from the technology to distractions, I think it makes you a better thinker. It makes you more proficient and just a better Bitcoiner overall. And some of the things you said, Lisa, really made me think about, um, another question I had for you, which is, you know, you talk about Jim Cramer, you talk about how, um, our financial markets are kind of, um, been mixed in with corruption and misinformation and just people not having the, you know, the financial aptitude to really understand what is this stock doing? What are the fundamentals of this, this company? You know, what does the balance sheet look like? Like people aren't really digging into the core fundamentals of a company before they invest in it, but they'll have all these aspersions for Bitcoin or why Bitcoin doesn't work. My question to you, Lisa, is, What do you think is holding back the big institutions from fully adopting Bitcoin outside of like MicroStrategy and Tesla, for example?
1: You know, I'm not sure. I've heard people talk about this a lot that, you know, Bitcoin market cap isn't big enough for a company like Apple. Right. Like how much would they actually be able to buy that moves the needle on their balance sheet if they're sitting on whatever it is, a trillion dollars of cash or, you know, and our market cap is 400 or 500 a billion dollars, like, what, what does that really do for them? How much can they really buy? Um, you know, the wealth managers that I talk to frequently all have clients that are now leaving their ecosystem to buy Bitcoin somewhere else. And what I find unfortunate is that sometimes they talk their client into staying within their ecosystem and buying things like Grayscale um, and then buying like the basket of other shit coins. I find that super unfortunate because a financial advisor is there to be, uh, you know, do no harm, right? Like if they had to uh, operate under the same ethics of a doctor, right? Do no harm is your first rule. But our financial advisors are not incentivized that way, largely. Maybe some of them are. But it, it, you know what, what is their incentive to get people to take to you know why would they want to help you buy Bitcoin if that means funds are leaving their, their ecosystem? It's, it's just not it, it's not in their best interest. So I'm, sh- I'm sure many of them do. Um, I know a lot of them don't. And I know a lot of people, you know, got into grayscale and got in and it was a 20% discount. And then it was a 40 and then it was a 50. And, you know, who knows what will happen. But again, like, why stress about that? Right? If you're going to stress about that for five minutes a day, okay, I- I'm i a high net worth person and I put 200000 or a million dollars or whatever it is into grayscale. And then for the next year, I spend five minutes a day worrying about it. Like it's bonging around in my head. It's just like not a good use of time. And um, I was, was listening to someone recently who said, um, you know, if somebody gave me, it was a, like a mid-60 man, and he said, I calculated based on actuarial tables, how many uh, days I have left in my life. And it's around $13,000. And he said, I know that if someone handed me $13,000 and said, this is every dollar that you'll ever have for the rest of your life. He said, I'd be very careful with how I spent those dollars. But he said, when it translates to time, people don't think that way, right? People waste so much time and we cannot Right, like it's not. It's just not good for us. It's it's not good for your health. It's not good for your well being. It's not good for your financial situation to have. You know, it's it's not good for relationships. Right, like you could be reading. You could be gardening. You could be sleeping. You could be uh, I don't know running, cooking, playing baseball. So we need to be. I think you know. I, we need to be more careful with our time. We need we need to be cognizant, and I I know I feel like Bitcoiners are on that track. Bitcoiners are more careful with our time. I say that even though we waste time on Twitter, but uh, but I feel like we learn a lot, and it's it's uh, you know it's it's nice to be a, a, among people who also understand it and who are working to, to help move this message forward.
0: I love to pick your brain as far as on the financial side, the trading side. And there was a couple of things you said there, Lisa, that really made me think like, you know, we have tax laws in this country that forces us to wait 30 days before you buy back um, a stock after selling off the shares. Right. And in the crypto space, that regulation is very skewed and there's no like clear cut regulation on how to do that. So that's why you have um, the creation of like these FTX implosions where, um, you know, you have wash trades where people will sell off crypto or sell off some alternative coin and buy Bitcoin with it within the neck within a five minute span, which creates a wash trade on traditional markets. But in the crypto market, there's no such thing. And I think that that is um it creates a lot of corruption. It creates a lot of greed. So I really want to hear your thoughts on like, you know, how do you feel about um, the crypto industry possibly being regulated or better yet, the Bitcoin industry being regulated? And do you think that it's worth being regulated or should we just allow uh, proof of work and the hash rate to do what it does on its own without having, you know, Gary Gensler or someone in, in office, you know, kind of metal in Bitcoin?
1: Yeah, good question. Um, okay, I think crypto's garbage, right? It's like my least favorite C word. Um, I don't own any. I wouldn't tell people to even own 1% of an allocation of anything. Uh, it should be regulated, as we talked about. I do think they're securities at best. Um, you know, if, trading in the commodity market is different than the equity market, right? So commodities traders look at things, uh, we look at, we, we consider the risk and we consider, uh, where risk might lie, what risk is being mispriced in a market. And, you know, a lot of that's fundamental. Um, you know, macro can play into it. Geopolitics can play into it, but it's a lot of, um, You know, product arbitrage, location arbitrage, weather, um, transportation-related issues, right? And it's a very different market, I think. I've never traded equity, so, I I mean, I've day-traded stock, um, but, you know, I didn't do it professionally. Uh, Do I think Bitcoin will be regulated? no. I think they'll try to regulate the on and off ramps. You know, you mentioned the the wash trades and the. Um, okay, fine. I mean, I, you know, I file my taxes. I, uh, I'm very detailed as to what I've done with my Bitcoin, what I bought, what I've sold, when I did it. Um, fine. I mean, I, I actually think that's a good thing. I think as Bitcoiners, you know, we get carried away with the I want no KYC and I want to keep it aside. And well, okay. But, you know, from an inheritance standpoint, I think it's not bad that you establish when you buy Bitcoin. If I buy it uh, and then I die and the price is appreciated a million dollars, I mean, my daughter is going to have to, you know, uh, prove basically when she took possession of the Bitcoin, and I don't know at that point if they'll ask, you know, what the cost basis was, probably. Um, it's, uh, you yeah, know, I, I don't know. I think they'll, they'll try to regulate how much tax we pay on it. They'll try to regulate the on and off ramps, the people that help you buy and sell it, um, maybe the people that are the custodians. Okay, that's fine. Um, can they regulate when you and I exchange Bitcoin? No. Right. I mean, you and I could exchange a billion dollars a day for the rest of our lives and no one could ever stop us. You
0: know, and I I hope that people really that really resonates with people of the power of Bitcoin. Right. And um, as far as I'm I realize or I can think about, I believe the IRS and the CFTC has labeled Bitcoin as property. So it's being taxed as property, like in the same realms of like real estate or things like that. And I think that you're right. I think that taxes are inevitable because it's kind of the lifeblood of a civilized, organized society. Of course, they can kind of, you know, be nefarious with it or overdo it. But I think that when it comes to inheritances, like you said, it comes to just having a ledger and having a Uh, defined understanding of like when things were bought and when things were sold is just important for just the financial balance sheet of, you know, the Bitcoin ecosystem. Of course, we have our own in-house blockchain where you can go in and see what these things are doing and when they were bought and when they were sold. But I think on a second layer, as far as people that aren't that technically savvy or know that much about Bitcoin, if they just have a grandparent that passes away and, you know, unchained or somebody calls them and says, hey, you know, you have a bunch of Bitcoin sitting here and they've never heard of it or they don't know anything about it I think having a ledger and a timestamp will really actually um, not only help them but help the the estate or you know probate court or whatever the case may be have a better understanding of like how you can actually gain access to this so Lisa I think you hit a spot on with all those questions and before we go I want you to uh, give people your social media handles and any future endeavors that you might want to talk about before we end this episode
1: oh thanks for having me Uh, You can find me on Twitter. I just got my blue check. I'm not sure what that means, but uh, Twitter now charges me $8.42 or something. Uh, It's Lisa underscore Huff. It's spelled like tough, but with an H and then another underscore. Um, I don't know. Come hang out at Bitcoin conferences. I guess that's what I'd say. Come to, if you're in Texas. Uh, come to a meetup, go to bitdevs in Austin, attend Empower which is Bitcoin mining and energy, just get involved, right? Like that would be my message to people. I hope uh, I hope everybody will will join us in this journey because it's Bitcoin is the only form of property that can be held by every person on earth regardless of property rights. And you know, I'm a Texan, I'm an American, I believe in liberty, freedom, the right of private property. And, uh, you know, if, if you align those values, uh, with yourself, then you are a Bitcoiner. You may not know it yet.
0: hundred percent, Lisa. Once again, thank you for taking time to have this Bitcoin conversation. Have a good one. Thanks.